Hi and welcome to Paul Martin's Catholic Podcast. My talk today is about universalism. Does everyone go to heaven? There are universalists, there's the universalist church, and they believe that everyone goes to heaven. And some of them believe in hell, but they believe it's only temporary for bad people, and eventually everyone goes to heaven. And there are some ignorant, misinformed Catholics who also seem to have a view that God will save everyone and hardly anyone will go to hell. Well, we're going to look at what Scripture teaches. And I'm going to tell you all a story. Many years ago, in the late 1990s, when I was young, I got an invitation to a 21st birthday. And it, it said the theme for this birthday is dress up like the 1920s. And it said if the men could wear suits and hats of the 1920s and bow ties and the women could wear uh, tiara headwear or turban hats and tassels and uh, fringe velvet accessories and drop waist uh, dresses and basically I read this invitation and I had faith I had faith that the invitation meant what it said that you had to dress a certain way and turn up to the party and after I had thought about that I thought yeah I've got an old brown suit and I've got a bow tie, a brown bow tie, and a 1920s hat, and I thought I'll wear that. But after I'd read the invitation, I suddenly got attacked by a bout of, of doubt. I started to think to myself, what if I turn up to this party and everyone else hasn't bothered to dress up for the part? I mean, I knew the birthday girl and her siblings and parents would turn up dressed up for the part. But what if most people don't? I said, I might look a bit silly if I've dressed up for the part and no one else has. But when I thought it through, I thought, well, at least I'll have the excuse of having obeyed what the invitation said. And then I thought about what if the reverse is true, what if everyone turns up dressed up 1920s and I turn up not looking the part? Then I'll have no excuse at all and I'll look like a complete douche and I won't fit in. So when the birthday, the 21st birthday night approached, I got into my brown suit, my uh, faded white shirt, my brown bow tie and my hat, my shoes and went down to the party. As I arrived at the town hall where the party was was happening, a group of 1920s gangsters in white suits and hats and tommy guns walked past me and I thought yes I'd made the right decision. I walked straight in and I was greeted by one of my friends. He was a 
1990s guy, and all of a sudden he was transformed into a 1920s guy. He had a penguin suit on, a white bow tie, and his hair parted down the middle with hair gel uh, holding it in place. He really looked apart, and it was amazing seeing this transformation. And the women had those hairnets and tassels on their dresses and makeup that really looked the part with that rouge around the eyes. There was a 1920s journalist looking the part with a hat and the thing that said press uh, stuck in the, as a sign in his hat. There was a 1920s cricketer. And we created this atmosphere, this amazing magic. There was a few people who didn't dress up 1920s, but they still had formal evening dresses and suits on. So it just fitted in very nicely with the overall theme. Now, I didn't live through the 1920s. And if there were any old people who remembered it at that time, their memories would be very sketchy. But nevertheless, I felt like we'd really gone back in time and we created this beautiful magic atmosphere. And people that I didn't know from a bar of soap, we'd give one another nods of respect and acknowledgement from across the room. People that I'd never ever met before, we were like best buddies. There was an incredible feeling of camaraderie and enjoyment and I thought I'm so glad to be here and I'm so so relieved I dressed up for the part and I thought wouldn't it be awful if someone turned up here dressed in modern clothing that would be just terrible well about two hours into the party some friends of the birthday girl and people I knew they lived out in the country about two or three hours drive so they'd gone a very very far distance to come to the party and they rocked up they had jeans on they had sneakers that is footwear if you're not in Australia that was bright white and they had t-shirts or jerseys that were a bright white color and they almost had a neon glow about them and they went into the party we had sort of low lighting and it, it just utterly ruined the atmosphere and the looks on their faces told me that they realized they'd made a big big mistake in driving all that distance but not bothering to dress up for the part and a few of them looked over at me and I don't think of myself as a snob, but on this particular night I was, and I instantly averted my gaze. And I looked around and saw everyone else was doing the same thing. They were turning their backs or walking away if they approached anyone. And I thought to myself, how dare they come here and ruin the atmosphere? They were there for about 15 minutes and then they just left. And when they left, it was like everyone breathed a sigh of relief. And it made me think, is heaven a bit like this? If people that have not put on their white robes of righteousness 
will they be welcome? And I thought to myself, there's a good sermon illustration to learn from. In fact, Jesus himself told a similar story. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14, Jesus answered and spoke again in parables to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who made a marriage feast for his son and sent forth his servants to call those who were invited to the marriage feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, behold, I have made ready my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the marriage feast. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his merchandise, and the rest grabbed his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. But the king was angry and sent his armies, destroying those murderers and burned their cities. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the intersections of the highways, and as many as you may find, invite them to the marriage feast. Those servants went out into the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good. The wedding was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man who didn't have on wedding clothing. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here not having wedding clothing? He was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and throw him into the outer darkness. There is where the weeping and grinding of teeth will be. For many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus makes it clear that some people will enter the kingdom of heaven and other people will not. Why? Why doesn't God just force everyone to go to heaven? And the answer, my friends, is because God wants us to love him. God wants us to do it because we want to, because we love him, not because he forced us to against our will. If you don't believe me, have a read of 1 Corinthians 13, where God talks about love. And he says, without love, it's nothing. We can have all faith to move mountains, but without love, it's nothing. And it's because God wants us to love him. And he wants us to follow him, not because we're afraid of hell, but because we love him. And God has given us all free will. Sirach chapter 15, verses 11 to 22 says, You should not say it is because of God that wisdom is absent, for you should not do what he detests. You should not say he has led me astray, for the impious are of no use to him. The Lord hates all abominable error, and those who fear him will not love such things. God established man from the beginning, and he left him in the hand of his own counsel. He added his commandments and precepts. If you choose to keep the commandments, and if, having chosen them, you fulfil them with perpetual fidelity, 
they will preserve you. He has set water and fire before you. Extend your hand to whichever one you would choose. Before man is life and death, good and evil, whichever one he chooses will be given to him. For the wisdom of God is manifold, and he is strong in power, seeing all things without ceasing. The eyes of the Lord are upon those who fear him, and he knows each one of the works of man. He has commanded no one to act impiously, and he has given no one permission to sin. For he does not desire a multitude of unfaithful and useless sons. And in order to go to heaven, we have to be perfected by God. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 23 says that in heaven dwells the spirits of just men made perfect. And in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48, Jesus said, Therefore you should be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Becoming perfect is a pretty daunting thing to do. We can't do it in our own strength, but if we're willing, God gives us the strength to do so. And what if you die and you're not perfect? Well, in purgatory you are purged of your sins and made perfect. But are all people going to be saved? Is everyone going to go to heaven? Well, we're going to have a look at what the scripture says. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said, Enter in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter in by it, how narrow is the gate and restricted is the way that leads to life. Few are those who find it. And then in verses 21 to 23, a very sobering passage, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will tell me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy by your name, by your name cast out demons, and by your name do many mighty works? Then I will tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. Even people that think they are saved and think they are going to heaven can be wrong and can be deluded. It's a sobering passage. And Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious, which are adultery, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lustfulness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousies, Outbursts of anger, rivalries, divisions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, even as I also forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And at the very end of the Bible, there's another warning in Revelation chapter 22, verses 14 
and 15. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter in by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And that is describing basically those who will be sent out into hell. And hell has different descriptions. In Matthew chapter 25 verse 41 it's described as a fire. In Jude 13 it's described as outer darkness. In Matthew 24 verse 51 it's Jesus says, I will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And in these passages, it says that the punishment is eternal. And it's one of torment, not a place of torture, but a place of torment where people are separated from God, where God gives them their desire to be free from him. Does the Bible teach universalism, though? Because there are some people of the Universalist Church, the Universalist Unitarian Church, it's some liberal cult or so-called denomination, and they believe that everyone will be saved. Well, let's have a look at the main proof texts that they use. Jesus is called the saviour of the world in John chapter 4 verse 42 and in 1 John chapter 4 verse 14. And that's saying that Jesus' universal offer. All people can be saved, but remember, God gives us free will. And there are many who will not accept it, sadly. John chapter 12 verse 47 says Jesus did not come to judge the world but to save it. However, in the context, this is referring to Jesus' first coming. And when Jesus did come in his first coming, he did not judge the world. He came to save it. He preached for three and a half years. He commissioned his disciples to establish a church to save people. This is referring to his first coming, but in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus refers to his second coming where he will judge the earth. And 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, says that God desires all men to be saved. Indeed, he does desire all to be saved, but that doesn't mean that all will be saved or all will accept the gift of salvation that is offered and Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 says that God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross and God is indeed pleased to do this but it has to also take into account a human's free will and Acts chapter 3 verse 21 says that Jesus is the restoration of all things. And 2 Peter 3 9 says God wants none to perish but all to be saved. And God indeed wants none to perish 
But as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, narrow is the way and few will find it. These verses, these proof texts that the universalists use reflect God's desire to save all people, but they're on condition that people believe in Jesus, otherwise they will perish. And John 3.16, one of my favourite Bible verses, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You have to believe in Jesus to be saved. And they also like to quote where John chapter 12 verse 32, Jesus says that if he's lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. Well, Jesus does draw all men to himself. However, sinful people can resist the Holy Spirit. And that was what Stephen said in Acts chapter 7 verse 51, shortly before they stoned him to death. He said, Woe to you Pharisees and hypocrites, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And so the scripture makes it clear, my friends, that we must have a right relationship with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And the key to being saved is through God's grace. It's through us calling out to Jesus, give us your grace. Help me to be the person that I should be. Convict me of sin. Help me to know you. I'm going to close with the Fatima prayer. Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of your mercy. Amen.